Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what is up, my friend? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. We are on episode 114, and we are in 2017. Welcome to the new year. Happy New Year to you. Hope you uh, had a good Christmas, New Year, holiday break, all of the above, and uh, hope you're doing well. Hope you got big plans for 2017. Hope your speaking business is going to explode and take off, and hopefully we can uh, be a little part of that. Hey, before we get to today's guest for uh, today's episode, I want to uh, let you know of a new resource we put together. We put together a guide of seven proven steps to finding and booking paid speaking engagements. Yes, that's right. Seven proven steps to finding and booking paid speaking engagements. It's a totally free guide you can pick up. Uh, you're going to want to go over to thespeakerlab.com slash guide. Thespeakerlab.com slash guide. Pick that up. Again, totally free. You can head over to thespeakerlab.com slash guide. All right. So today we are going to be uh, talking with my buddy Jay Bear. You can find him over at jbearbaer.com, jbear.com. And uh, Jay is a uh, just a great guy, great speaker, entrepreneur, author. So we talk about a, a wide ranging number of topics here. We talk about how he got his start as a speaker, which is a fascinating story. We talk about how he recommends you determine your speaking topic, how he's building a business that uh, doesn't depend on himself, trying to do something that's one of the big challenges of speaking is that you are one person and you can only be in one place at one time. So uh, Jay talks a little bit about how he's thinking that through and how he's trying to build his business beyond the stage. And we also talk about what he would do if he were starting a speaking business from scratch today. So sometimes it's easy to hear uh, speakers who, who've been at this for a while and have a successful speaking business and they, they just regularly get bookings. You'll hear Jay share the number of booking inquiries he gets on an annual basis just into his office. So you think, well, I mean, obviously that they got this big name. So of course they, they're going to get that much recognition, but you know, does that, how do I get to that point? So he talks through if he were starting a business from scratch today, what he would do to uh, pick up speaking engagement. So uh, you're definitely going to want to catch that. So let's get right into it. Here is my conversation with my friend Jay Bear. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today I'm joined by my buddy Jay Bear, who is a uh, entrepreneur and speaker. He's been at this for a little while and has uh, learned some things along the way that uh, I'm excited for him to uh, hang out with us and, and share some uh, some knowledge with us today. So, Jay, what's up, man? How are you? My friend, I am delighted to be in the laboratory. It's good to have you here in the uh, the laboratory. So, hey, first of all, let's kind of give us a big picture of you. You're a best-selling author. You're an entrepreneur. You've got a uh, kind of a marketing agency, but also you've got this speaking thing that seems to be working for you. So how does speaking fit into your business? How much speaking are you doing? Who are you speaking to? Kind of give us the high-level view, and we'll go from yeah. there. Yeah. 
So my company is called Convince and Convert. It's the the fifth company that, that I have founded in my career. The company has three divisions. We have a Convince and Convert Live division, which consists of speaking, uh, primarily myself, but there's also seven other people on my team who, who speak as well. We have a, a media division, which includes our podcast network. We have six weekly podcasts. We have a a blog that reaches uh, 4 million marketers a year, a daily email newsletter, a bunch of the things. We have lots of sponsors on that side of the business. And then we have a consulting business where we work with a lot of the most interesting brands in the world on social media marketing, content marketing, social media customer service, influencer marketing, et cetera. So we have an, a ton of great clients on that side. So the business is about a third, a third, a third financially. And, and so it's nice, stable, kind of three-legged stool. Right. On the speaking side, as I mentioned, that's primarily me. This year, 2016, I will do 59 live keynotes and about 21 or 22 webinars. Nice. You know, I tell you what, it's exactly how much I want to do in speaking. You know, there's there's friends of mine and friends of yours who who will speak 70, 80, 90. I've got a friend who speaks 100 times a year. And I'm like, no, bro, yeah. that's no way. <laughs> Even if you could get that many gigs, and I'm not so sure I could, I wouldn't want to do that many because I've got these other parts of the business. There's just no way I could I could spend that much time on it. So, But I love it. Of all the things that I do, podcasting and writing and consulting and everything else, speaking is definitely my favorite. I, I discovered a long time ago, Grant, that nobody give standing ovations to consultants. It can be the best strategic plan in the world that you deliver in that conference room, but nobody ever stands up and applauds. So uh, the speaking thing is the best. Speaking is hard to compete with whenever you have that. Uh, there's all that, like oh. you said, the, the non-glamorous, non-sexy part of travel. We were talking a little bit offline about that and all that goes into that, especially if you're doing a, a, up to 100 days a year. But uh, nothing competes to that one hour on stage and the uh, the opportunity to connect with, with people in that environment is really, really cool. Oh man, you know, look, it, it it really is an honor to do it, especially in this era where everybody's attention is so fragmented and there's so many choices and options and blogs and podcasts and books and everything else. For, for somebody to to spend an hour quietly listening to what you have to say right. is extraordinary. An right. hour, an hour of time listening to what you have to say of all the people in the world. That is an absolute honor to take the stage every single time. And as much as I've been doing it for quite a while, I hope I never lose that attitude. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's backtrack a little bit. So you've been doing this obviously for a while. You've been a very successful. You've got, uh, like you mentioned, a three-legged stool that seems to be working out well for you in business. How did you first get into speaking? What were you doing pre-speaking days? I was kind of a speaker before I was a speaker. I was named most likely to be a game show host in high school. <laughs> Which is an honor we all aspire to. I didn't really aspire to it, but I didn't shirk from it either, right? And so I, I haven't actually been a game show host per se, but I feel like I'm pretty close. I was the guy in high school, whenever there was an assembly, pep assembly, talent show, mock rock, I was always the MC. Even as a sophomore, I was I was just that guy, right? So yeah. I was always really comfortable with the microphone and, and didn't really think anything of it from a career perspective. Although my aunt is a, a trainer, is a longtime corporate trainer. And so I just exposed to it a little bit. But when I first got started in the internet business, and, and one of the things that's interesting, I guess, or unusual about me is that I started as an online marketing consultant in 1993, which is about as early as you could have done right, that job. Right. I was Let's literally pre-browser, pre-Yahoo, pre pre-Netscape. And so I was, geez, I was just a kid. I was 23, I guess, something like that. And so one of the things I would do is I lived in Phoenix at the time and I would go around to local business groups, Kiwanis and Rotary and Lions Club and all that jazz. 
Chamber of Commerce and, and, and I would do little presentations on what is the internet. Wow. <laughs> no joke. And that's and why, and, and why you might want a website, even though nobody knew what that was. And that's how I started speaking. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. I like it. And I, and I just did local stuff for free like that for, for years. And then as I got further and further along and, and bought and sold some different firms and things like that, I started to do more speaking primarily around digital marketing and, and email marketing and things like that. You know, very specific breakouts, workshops. And I got this is kind of fun too. And then when I started this firm, Convincing Convert, which is eight and a half years ago now, I started to do a little bit more speaking and, and blogging and things like that. And where it really kind of took off for me is when I wrote my first book, The Now Revolution, which came out in uh, 2011. I did a book tour and did, you know, 40 or 50 gigs essentially in exchange for people buying books. And I'm like, wow, I feel like I really like this. This is a lot of fun. And I think I'm decent at it. And so after that book tour, I put together a five-year plan to go from a consultant who speaks to a speaker who consults. Yeah, big difference. And oh man, enormous. And I had to do a lot of things inside my company and with my time and my training and all those kind of things to make it happen. And, and five years later, we managed to pull it off. Why did you decide to make that shift? Just And it sounds very, very subtle. And it sounds like just this, this wording nuance, but there's, there's a, a lot to that. Why, why'd you make that shift? I felt like for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I'm a good consultant, but I'm a disproportionately good speaker. Two, speaking is like bowling or golf or darts. Like if you're good at it, you can do it forever. I mean, most of the great speakers in the world are not young. They're the opposite of young, uh, partially because they've just done it so long, they've gotten amazing at the craft. And part of it is there's the gravitas factor there. Yeah. And so being in online marketing, being an old guy consultant in online marketing isn't necessarily valuable. Being an old guy speaker is totally valuable. So I started to think, okay, what I'm doing today at that point, I was 40. What am I doing at 40 versus what I want to do at 60? Being a speaker at 60 or somebody who's primarily speaks with the side word of consulting is much more viable at 60 than the opposite. So there was part of that. And, and then I thought, if this consulting business is going to ever become something that is saleable or scalable, it can't be Jay's Consulting Inc., right? I have to get out of the consulting business day to day. And if I'm going to do that, then I have to have something else to do. And that thing is going to be speaking. That's exactly where we're at now. So I'm still involved in every consulting project, but I'm not delivering the consulting, right? I come in for the first meeting. I come in for the last meeting to make sure everybody's cool and everything and the work is great. Uh, but my team handles it, which is amazing, which frees up my time to go out and travel and, and be on stage. So do you feel like your role primarily right now in the overall business is, yes, you enjoy the speaking, but in some ways you're the, you're the rainmaker. You're the one that's bringing in the consulting Absolutely. business? Yes. And it all works together. So what we do right. on the media side with blogging and podcasting and all that, commencement speaking engagements, creates consulting clients. It's a, it's a virtual circle. Right, right. Okay. So I want to go back a little bit. So you said you were doing back in Phoenix, you were doing a lot of these, these free things, the Kiwanis and kind of making mm -hmm. the rounds there. How did you start to transition from this is fun to feeling like there's something here and I could actually make a living from this. So were there any events that you started quoting a fee for, or that people started offering a fee for? How did that transition start to happen? When I did the book tours, when I really first started to realize like, okay, you you could actually do this. We weren't charging people cash for those. Some of them my co-author did as well, but I wasn't charging people cash for those gigs. It was, you know, buy a bunch of books 
and I'll come talk to you about the book. Now, to them, it's cash, right? Money is money. To me, it was as that money was going into books, but you know what I'm talking about. Totally. But it's still a fee, right? And so they, they gladly paid it. And I was like, well, wow, if they're going to gladly buy, you know, a few hundred copies of the book just to have me come talk about this, that's amazing. And the other big kind of takeaway for me, and this is going to sound ridiculously basic to the listeners of the laboratory, but the light bulb that went on for me is, oh, if I gave a similar speech every time, (laughs) this is actually doable as opposed to what many new speakers do, which is, oh, I have a speaking opportunity. Let me write a speech. Right, right, right. Yep. And the problem is if you're writing new material, all new material every time, you will never be good at that material. Yeah. Like nobody is good the first time. I don't care how good you think you are. Nobody is good the first time. I, I did a thing yesterday, a new open yesterday for an event. And it was mediocre at best because I knew I just had never done it before. Right. But, you know, you got to push yourself sometimes. And so this idea of, hey, do 80% of the same talk every time and customize it allows you to actually get good enough that people say, wow, that was great. Next time I have an event, I want to pay that person to come. Right, right. One of the things that we, we talk about here from time to time is that that confidence piece of feeling like you mentioned that you had that moment where you felt like I can actually do this, you know, because it's one thing to go to an event and see someone on stage and be like that they're just light years ahead of me versus going to an event and feeling like like I I'm not the world's greatest speaker by any means, but I feel like I could actually make this happen. So what was that like mental shift for you that started to give you the confidence of going like, nah, that's for someone else versus feeling like, no, 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 I can do this. I can I can hang with people that have been doing this for a little while. I think certainly you you get that reinforcement, right? If, if you're getting the kind of audience reaction that you want and event organizers are telling you that it was great and, you know, they're not going to tell you that you suck to your face, but but you can tell. I mean, right. you, you can tell if if it's going well. And if you have a, a string of events where you don't blow it, where you don't bomb one completely, then you feel like, hey, I could string together more of these successful gigs in a row. And, and so there wasn't one day where I woke up and said, Hey, I can do this because partially because I was so comfortable with the microphone from a very, very young age, the, the being on stage part of it was never an issue for me. And I, I really, really thankful for that. It was more of the content side and, and the, and sort of packaging it. The other thing that's, I think really great for me is that having always been on sort of technology and marketing and online and futurism and all that kind of thing, it is easier for me to be ahead of the audience than it is for other speakers who speak about other things. If you speak about sales or leadership or accountability or efficiency or motivation, your audiences have been thinking about those things their whole lives because they're human beings. You know, being on the technology side of being a technology speaker and actually having a consulting company, which keeps me really, really fresh and current because I'm actually doing this work as well it's easier for me to know that I'm two or three sort of levels above where the average audience's, in, you know, kind of knowledge is. And, and that's actually a real awesome place to be. Was that a pretty conscious choice in terms of, because I think this is a spot where a lot of speakers get hung up is, you know, what do you speak about? And the reply is, well, what do you want me to speak about? Or I can speak right. about anything or, you know, yeah. there, there's 94 different topics that I could hypothetically speak about. None of them will yeah, be. Don't do that. Here's my good. advice. Don't do that. Right. Uh, exactly. Scott- Scott McCain, who's one of my mentors and has really, really helped me in the business, told me a a great truism once we were having dinner in Vegas. And he said, look, you know how you can tell a keynoter? I said, what? He said, they've got two, maybe three topics listed on their website. Yeah. That's how you can tell, right? As opposed to people who want to do that, think, well, the best way to get a keynote 
is to have 16 topics on the site and let the event planner pick the one they like best. And it's, it's, he's so right. Figure out what you're dis, not what you could speak about. Don't think about that. Don't think about what you could speak about. Think about what you can speak about. That is great. That is great. And then do that thing. So did that just kind of evolve for you? And it just kind of, well, I, I started speaking, you know, pre-internet days about the internet and it just kind of evolved yep. into the technology piece or was there a moment where strategically you're realizing that not only can I speak on this but there's a there's a huge opportunity in market here what's kind of been that evolution between my first and my second book I realized that my role in the world both as an author and as a speaker is not to come up with some concept that you've never heard of and deliver it and sort of be a trend hunter, true futurist. And there's lots of great speakers out there about those kind of things, Rohit Bhargava and Jeremy Gouche and, and a lot of other people who are really amazing at that kind of future casting. And I, and I realized that that's not my thing. My thing is interpreting technology shifts for everybody else, right? I am in the translation business. I translate the near future to, to the present for people who don't do technology for a living. And, and once I understood kind of what my role was, both as an author and as a speaker, I got really, really a lot better at both because I wasn't trying to, to be something that I just wasn't really equipped to do. How has that, uh, like, do you feel like that was just a that's just the, the matter of speaking for years and years and years and the talk evolving and paying attention to the market and realizing that, okay, this is what I am versus like just taking a weekend and putting your flag in the ground to say, no, this is what I do. I translate technology to make it clear for audiences. Because it seems like for a lot of speakers, again, when you're, when you're, especially early on, if you're just staring at a whiteboard and you're just like, I just have no idea what the thing is that I'm known for, because it's kind of, again, that mix of what is the market interested in? What are they hiring speakers for versus what am I qualified to speak on? So it sounds yep. like for you, it kind of doing it long enough and it kind of evolved to, all right, the more I do this, the more clear I've become on this is what I do. I kind of feel like in a lot of areas of my life, not just speaking, I prefer process of elimination to process of discovery. Gotcha. I prefer to say, what are the 11 things that I could do? And now let's convince myself that all of those but one are wrong. Instead of seeking the right answer, I think you should seek all the wrong answers. And what remains is what you should do. You sort of cross things off the list instead of add them to the list. I think it's a much more realistic way of thinking about your skills in the market. And so what I would encourage new speakers to do is instead of saying, instead of having that, that whiteboard, right, is to say, okay, let's write down all the things I could conceivably speak about and then talk yourself out of them. I don't know enough about this. There's better speakers at that. There's not enough market demand for this. I don't really like this one that well. And when you do that and you're really honest about it, what you end up with is what you should speak about. And, and that last part, I think, is critical. In my experience, a lot of new speakers are not as honest with themselves as they probably should be in terms of what they are disproportionately good at. But even more than skills, I think about what they love. If you want to know of the 10 topics you could talk about, which ones you should focus on, it's the ones that you love, the ones that you feel like you must speak about. Not the ones that you can speak about, the ones you must speak about because it's in your heart, because you have a passion for it. If you don't have a passion for your topic, you will never make money at this, ever. 
So transitioning from you're doing some of the Kiwanis and then you are doing several years later, you're doing the book tour, even though that they were, they're just buying books and, and not necessarily paying a speaking fee on that. What were you doing then to find those speaking engagements? And then also just to fast forward to today, what are you currently doing to find speaking engagements? How many of those are coming from bureaus versus on your own and, and referral mm-hmm. word of mouth? Just kind of walk us through that. Yeah. So on the book tour, I worked with a lot of our clients on the consulting side to put together gigs in different markets. I also wrote some blog posts on, on our blog and in social media and said, hey, we're going to do a book tour. Who wants to do an event? And talked about it in, on Twitter and places like that and, and literally sort of stitched together my own book tour just based on on that, which was terrific. It was a lot of work for sure, but it came together pretty nicely. Now we get about a hundred and I don't know, probably 200 inbound leads a year from the jbear.com website, Mm -hmm. which is extraordinary. Yeah, that's huge. A lot of those leads are, are not qualified though, in terms of what the event is and what my role might be and things like that. So it's, it's not like it's 200 rock solid leads that we're going to go close. It's some subset of those. So certainly I continue to create a lot of content, Facebook and Twitter and, and, and LinkedIn and Instagram and a big blog and podcasts and all these other things. And, and that certainly creates a level of awareness that produces traffic to the jbear.com website, which then produces inbound leads. Also, you know, I'm sure you've talked to us on the show, what the great, the great fact of speaking is that the more you speak, the more you speak, because yep. in every single audience, there are people who will hire you someday. Yep. It may be five years later, but someday they will be in a position to recommend a speaker. Obviously, books helps as well. And I try to cleverly pitch speaking in books in a way that's not yucky, but is at least noticeable. And so there really isn't a magic tactic in terms of lead generation for us. It's a combination of different things. Of the gigs that I do, 15 to 20% are bureaus, then everything else is direct. Gotcha. All right. So those those 200 that are coming in, and, I, and you kind of alluded to this, I think it's just an important to note that speaking is just such a long-term game that it's not, where did those 200 leads come from? It came from all over. It's not one thing. I wrote this one post and all of a sudden it blew up. It's th- this random somebody saw me five years ago at an event and they told their friend and then their friend moved to a different company and somehow they came across uh, you know, a tweet I saw and, and now all of a sudden I'm getting a booking out of it. So it's uh, oftentimes it's a lot of those random things. But like you said, the more you're doing this, the longer you're out there, the more you're just kind of putting out your message into the world. It seems like the more that seems to come back in terms of uh, potential opportunities. Absolutely. And then when you speak primarily around a book cadence, as I do, so I've got a book, I talk about that book for two years, have another book, talk about that book for two years. That's a fairly common circumstance. When you do that, you you say, okay, I did a hundred speeches about this book. Now I've got a new book and you go back to those hundred people and say, Hey, I've got a new thing. Can I come back? And so that helps as well. You've got that database of, of previous events that you can rely on, which over time it gets, it gets easier. At least it, it should get easier. Right, right. So I'm curious then if as a translator of marketing and technology, if you were starting a speaking business from scratch today, what would you do differently? Because obviously the market's extremely different than it was in the you know late 90s or early 2000s. So what would yeah. that look like for you today if you were starting over? I would do a ton of video, a ton of live video, not necessarily video on stage, although having those kind of clips is important. In fact, we're just starting our first ever experimental Facebook advertising campaign. We're taking clips of my best talks and 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 doing video ads just to see what happens. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of speakers have done that, but we've never done it. We're just going to kind of play with it. But if I was starting now, I would create a ton of video content, do a daily video podcast, that kind of thing. Just because the more that, that people can see you on camera, the more comfortable that they become with you as the potential presence on stage. And I would also be as specific as possible about topics, as I mentioned earlier. Be really thoughtful about how you actually name your talks from a search engine optimization perspective to make yourself as findable as possible. We're pretty good at that now, but but there was certainly a time in my career where, where I wasn't as cognizant and aware of, of those kind of things. And, and so starting fresh, I would definitely put some of that into practice. So a lot of that may be putting content into the world. Is there anything that you would do from a like a proactive outbound standpoint, because oftentimes the hopes that the right person sees my video is good, but them connecting the dots that, hey, this person that they're watching on video is a speaker and that they should be hired to come to speak at their conference or an event or whatever it may be. Is there anything that you would do or that you've seen that works from a, an outbound standpoint? Not so much outbound, but but from a stay top of mind perspective, we do a lot of retargeting and remarketing. So when people come to the jbear.com website, we we cookie those people. And then incrementally, we will show them ads about what I'm doing and what I've got cooking. And they'll see those ads on Facebook or on ESPN or wherever we can find them online. That's just a nice way. It's almost like a ad driven newsletter yep. just to kind of keep yourself in front of them because they may be a great prospect. It's just that their event isn't for 11 months. They're not thinking about speakers yet, or they're not in charge of speakers this year, but the next year they're going to be in charge of speakers or whatever the case may be. So people have short memories and you need to lengthen their memory by, by once they've connected with you in any way, kind of keeping yourself out there so that, you know, whatever the next speaker that they discover doesn't kind of jump you in the front of the line. Right. How much has email marketing and just having an email list been of value for finding and booking speaking gigs for you? You know, it, it's funny considering I used to be an email marketing consultant back in the day. I really focused on that. Not very much. I have been, this is kind of a weird story, but I have been atrocious at email marketing for my speaking career. Um, do it as, really, not as I do. It's not even that. It's that I have a very large email list and a robust email program, but it's on the convince and convert side. It's on the company side, not yeah. on the J side. Yeah. And because the company really is a real company with a real presence and real clients and real media, it's something that we've struggled with for years, Grant, is, is when we're going to go do an ad or we're going to do an email or we're going to do anything, we're going to do a, a slide share presentation. We consistently have conversations inside my organization. Should that go on inside the convince and convert brand ecosystem or should it be part of the Jay Bayer brand ecosystem? And so this idea of how much am I associated with the company and how much is the company associated with me versus a separate kind of brand and a separate level of content for me as a speaker, it continues to be a challenge. For example, I don't have a blog on my, on my personal site. I pull in my blog posts from the main site, but but I don't I don't create content on my own website. My content lives on the company site. And and so there's things like that 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 might not be ideal. Like if I was only a speaker and I didn't have the other sides of the business, I would probably do it differently. Okay, let's go down that path because I think that's intriguing for especially for a lot of speakers who get to a point where I remember I was at this point a couple of years ago and had the conversations with a few other speakers that the challenge with speaking is it's it's a it's a, I remember a buddy saying it's a high paying manual labor job and that mm-hmm. we get paid way too well to stand on a stage and run our mouth for an hour. But the challenge is, is it's still dependent on you getting on a plane and going somewhere. And so the nature is there's only so many dates you can you can do and there's only so much you can charge and you just you just reach a cap. Even if you charge at the upper limits and even if you do, you know, 
know, 50, 60, 70, 80 dates a year, there's still, there's only so much you can do. So how have you kind of navigated that? Obviously you've got the agency and it seems like that that's kind of been a piece that's grown along with the speaking business, but how have you kind of thought that through of taking yourself out of the equation so that, that if you decide to take a month off or God forbid something were to happen to you or a family member and, and you know, if you were hit by a bus tomorrow, like how do you make sure that the business is more than just Jay Bear? Yeah, it's two things. One, the the media side of the business, and I've done a lot of workshops on this topic for the National Speakers Association, this concept of speaker as media company, uh, of building a media organization that has blogs and podcasts and emails and, and courses and all those kind of things. And so that business is as big, if not bigger than the speaking business. And we just invented it from scratch, right? We said, okay, one of the things that, that speakers are bad at is typically they think, okay, all the quote unquote thought leadership that I'm involved in has to come out of my head. Mm-hmm. And my friend, Chris Brogan had a great line in his first book, Trust Agents. He said, if you want to be a priest, build your own church. And it absolutely works online in particular. Instead of you writing every great blog post, create a site that collects lots of people's thinking about the topic that you speak about. You're one of the contributors, but other people are contributors as well. Now, all of a sudden you have a media asset, not your personal blog. We publish 12 blog posts a week on Convince and Convert. I write one of them. I used to write all of them back in the day. The less I write, the better we do, which is a little bit, it's not a good for bit the of ego. A, it's really not good for the ego, but it's good for the pocketbook because it's not my blog. It's a media entity now, right? Yeah. So, so have certainly tried to be wise about that cap and speaking revenue by creating a media organization that pays off. And the other thing that, that we're really working on aggressively is developing our consultants as speakers. So there's seven other people in the consulting organization that speak. I've invested a tremendous amount of time and money in their speaking careers. And so a lot of times when people have an opportunity for speaking, I'm booked, I can't make it, or the fee's not right or what have you. But instead of saying, no, I'm sorry, we say, Jay can't do it, but here's seven other people who can, uh, each of whom speak on slightly different variations of online marketing online customer service. And then I get a piece of that action. And so we're essentially growing the speaking revenue pie by building a network of speakers instead of just me. Beautiful. Are those other speakers, are they independent? Do they work for you just logistically? And are they giving similar talks as you, or are they giving completely, totally different things? And so if someone were to come to you and say, Hey, we're looking for a sales speaker, you're able to say, Hey, that's not me, but this is the person we would recommend. Or what is that going to look like? I mean, it's similar in that everybody is sort of in the same broad topical area of online marketing, online customer service, but nobody's going to do my book talk other than me because I wrote the book. It's not like you're going to get the exact same content. It's just in the similar, in the similar vein. All of our consultants are contractors officially. And so that's kind of how we handle the paperwork side. Cool. Hey, let's wrap up with this. This is something I didn't prep you for, but I like to ask speakers. Great. I'm ready. I want you, no pressure. I want you to uh, tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse than this. All right. So as a speaker, obviously you've had some of those moments where either from a speaking perspective, things just did not go according to plan and, and something either in the audience or the environment happened that really jacked up or maybe you just had a nightmare hellish client. So Jay, to wrap up, tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse than this. I don't know if this is the worst time, but it's the one that I'm thinking about because this is the reason I was late for our podcast today. A week ago, a hacking organization, a a hacker group, International Hacking Consortium, hacked my Twitter account. 
I have 225,000 Twitter followers, hacked my Twitter account, created a bunch of tweets that promoted their international hacking consortium, put it out on Twitter. And then I had to find that and, and change my passwords and do that. So thought I had that solved last week. Discovered today that not only did they hack my account, but they also hacked my Twitter ad account and have run up a, an American Express bill of 20,000 US dollars on paid ads on my account from me promoting their uh, hacking organization. So now, not only do I have to unscramble that omelet financially, it's a big reputation hit for me because I kept seeing all these tweets like, I hate you, why are you doing this? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I had to discover that. It's not one of my best days. So that's uh, that's a little fresh on your radar. It's a little fresh on the radar, a little bit of an open wound, yes, sir. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully hopefully that uh, that gets resolved and quickly, man. I know that the, especially for someone who, who is dependent on their Twitter account as, as you are and just your, your social media profile, that that can be uh, uh, make a big difference and can be a... Sounds like I, a am huge, the, huge I am pain. the most retweeted, I'm literally the most retweeted person in the world among digital marketers. Perhaps not now, though. <laughs> I, may, I may lose my crown plus 20 grand. So we'll see what happens. All right, man. Well, I'll let you get back to that. Hey, if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where, where can we send them? jbear.com or convinceandconvert.com is our media site, all of our blogs, podcasts, emails. If you want to know about online marketing, online customer service, digital, that's the place to go. You've also had a uh, recent book come out. Uh, so tell, give us the nutshell on that one. Yeah, Hug Your Haters, best-selling book on social media customer service. Subtitle is How to Embrace Complaints and Keep Your Customers. HugYourHaters.com is the site for the book, available in all the places and ways that books are available. Audiobook read by me. Awesome. Thanks for sharing your time, Jay. We appreciate it. My man, thanks so much. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jay Bear. Again, I'd encourage you to check out what Jay's up to over at jbear.com, jbear, B-A-E-R.com. And uh, again, let me remind you to definitely stop by the speakerlab.com slash guide, the speakerlab.com slash guide. There you can pick up your guide to the seven proven steps to finding and booking paid speaking engagement. So totally free guide. It's a new resource we put together. So definitely check that out again over at thespeakerlab.com slash guide. All right, that wraps up episode 114. We'll catch you next time, my friend. You're awesome.